We are reading from Judges chapter 8, starting in verse 22. Then the men of Israel said to Gideon, Rule over us, you and your son and your grandson also, for you have saved us from the hand of Midian. Gideon said to them, I will not rule over you, and my son will not rule over you. The Lord will rule over you. And Gideon said to them, Let me make a request of you, every one of you, give me the earrings from his spoil. For they, that is the people that they had conquered, had golden earrings because they were Ishmaelites. And the people answered, We will willingly give them. And they spread a cloak. Every man threw in the earrings of his spoil, and the weight of the golden earrings that he requested was 1,700 shekels of gold, besides the crescent ornaments and pendants and the purple garments worn by the kings of Midian, besides the collars that were around the necks of their camels. And Gideon made an ephod of it. He put it in his city, in Ophrah, and all Israel whored after it there, and it became a snare to Gideon and to his family. So Midian was subdued before the people of Israel, and they raised their heads no more, and the land had rest 40 years in the days of Gideon. This is the word of the Lord for us today. You may be seated. We continue in our series today in Judges called Judges in Our Own Eyes. Again, a play on words to remind us that this is our temptation, just like it was Israel's temptation, to judge the world as we see fit, to be our own judge. We're going to talk about that directly this morning in the example of Gideon. A lot of you are familiar with stories about Gideon. If you've been in a Sunday school environment especially, or if you've watched uh, VeggieTales, or if you've seen right, stories designed for children around the Bible, it's likely that you've heard stories about Gideon because there are a couple of famous Bible stories in relation to Gideon. And um, Perhaps you remember the story of the fleece. Right, He puts out this piece of sheep's wool on the ground, on the threshing floor, and he prays to God that it would be wet and the ground would be dry. And then he prays that the ground would be wet and the fleece would be dry. Maybe you've heard that story. Maybe you've heard the story about how Gideon and a small group of people attacked a large army and all that they had were trumpets and, and uh, torches and clay jars. And they would break the jars and show off their, their torches and they'd blast their trumpets. And maybe that's the story that you've heard. And it's possible that in talking about these stories, the emphasis that you've heard is on how uh, we should go boldly before God. We should ask him for things like Gideon did. Or maybe you've heard about how God is faithful to do great things even with small numbers. And those are valid ways to understand these stories. And I don't want to discount those. But something that's not often talked about with Gideon is that passage that we read today. That passage at the end of Gideon's story where he says, in one moment, I'm not going to rule over you. It's going to be God who's going to rule over you. Also, in the same moment, he says, give me some gold and I'm going to make an idol out of it. That's a problem. If you don't see that that's a problem, hopefully you'll see it's a problem by the time we're done this morning. That's a problem. And so we want to talk about how does Gideon go from being this person who has been shown all these wonderful things about God, all these wonderful things about who God has called him to be, Gideon to be, and yet still choosing to make an idol. So let's talk about that this morning. Let's talk about how in Judges uh, 8, 22 through 28, but really in Judges 6 through 8, because that's the whole narrative of Gideon, we see that we are tempted to worship our independence. And don't, I know it's, it's sort of... Uh, sort of unfortunate that today is July 2nd. I'm not talking about national independence. You'll just have to disregard that. Happy 4th. Um, We're talking about personal independence here. We're talking about 
the desire for all of us to have nobody that rules over us, okay? Personal independence. We're tempted to worship our achievements, the things that we've done, the things that we think that we have accomplished for ourselves, for people around us, for our families perhaps, and then our authority. And so we're going to talk about how we are tempted to worship these things because this is what Gideon is tempted to worship as well. And I think this is how we see Gideon move from Move from God saying, I'm going to give you headship over your people. I'm going to give you leadership. I'm going to give you power. I'm going to give you victory over your enemies. I'm going to give you God is going to provide all of these things. And Gideon at the end is saying, yeah, but I think I want to be worshiped too. Because ultimately all of these things, spoiler alert, lead to worshiping ourselves. And I've said before in this series that everybody is always worshiping something because God made us that way. He made us to be in right relationship with him. And the right relationship with him is that we worship him because he made us because he created all things. So that's the right relationship. That's how we're designed. We are always giving praise to something. And if it's not God, it's going to be another idol of some kind. And it might be us. We might be the idol. And that's Gideon's temptation. And I think for a number of us, we're going to see that it's our temptation. And I'm also going to try and show you that really these things, independence, our achievements, our authority, they're just one place kind of on a spectrum of temptations for us. I didn't, I didn't think it was wise to double up the number of slides, right? But I'll point to the ways that it might not be your specific temptation, but there's one like it that is, and we'll talk about those this morning. So let's pray and then we'll keep moving through judges. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning's worship. Uh, Thank you for this time of worship together where we can sing and pray and confess, where we can hear from your word. Thank you, Lord, for providing this place where we are thankful for a nation where we're free to gather and we're free to worship. We know that so many of our brothers and sisters are not. They are persecuted unto death. And so we pray for them this morning, for all those in the world, for whatever reason, that cannot gather safely in your name, Lord, but they are gathered maybe in ones, twos, and threes. Holy Spirit, be with them this morning. Encourage them. Build your kingdom in them, we ask. In your name, Jesus. Amen. So here's what I mean by we worship our independence. Notice in Judges 6, 1 through 10, we're not going to, this is not me reading Judges 6, 1 through 10, but if you read it, if you go back to that part of the story, notice that God is reminding the people that they're doing evil by worshiping foreign gods. He says this directly. He says, here is my command to you. Do not worship other gods. That is what you're not supposed to do. And that's exactly what you are doing. And so, so there are consequences. He says that uh, salvation comes from him right? Alone. His name means God is salvation. That's what his name means. We sing here sometimes on Sunday morning that there's salvation in God's name. Quite literally, God's name means God is salvation. He says, I am the Lord, your God. Don't fear other gods. And then he describes our sin directly by saying, but you have not obeyed my voice. So if he's told them not to fear other gods, but they have disobeyed, he's saying you have feared other gods. You've chosen to worship other gods besides me. Now, how is this all about independence because when we don't get what we want, we go looking for somebody who will give it to us, right? That is the, that is the core of independence for a person, for individuals to seek independence is to say, I will find whatever authority will grant me what I want. And if it's me, if I'm the only authority that will grant me what I want, then I'll worship myself. 
But understand what the end of, of that, side, that kind of independence looks like. The end of that kind of independence is complete and utter loneliness. Right? If you are so independent that you don't depend on anyone at all, ever, except for yourself, then you have isolated yourself from everyone. And so that's, that's the stakes. Those are the stakes, right? And here's, what, here's what's happening in Gideon and in the people at that time. So the people in Gideon's time, they're independently seeking whatever they want, right? They're looking for the God will, that will give them what they want. Brooks, a couple of weeks ago, said that it looks like this. You move into a foreign country, or you surround yourself with people who don't uh, worship your God, and you have a need. <clears throat> Perhaps, like my family, your washing machine broke down in the last two weeks. That's a need, let me tell you. We have nine people in our house. You should not go without a washing machine when you have nine people in your house. It's a need. And so God isn't answering their need. And so they go and look for other gods, right? My neighbor has this God. Maybe I'll worship him. My other neighbor has this other God. Maybe I'll worship him. None of those gods are doing what I want them to do. So maybe I'll take this upon myself. That's the temptation of independence. So in that time and in our time, ultimately, this is going to amount to us putting ourselves over and against God is Is it going to be the one true God who answers my prayer? Or am I going to have to seek this out for myself? Am I going to have to go and make this happen for me? And the temptation that Gideon faces, the temptation that we face is to go after this ourselves, to make it happen for ourselves. Because we're independent, because we can do this. But to be truly independent, we have to be willing to disobey every authority. And that's what Israel is doing, and that's what God is speaking against. And that does amount to worshiping ourselves because worship is giving respect and giving honor and giving praise to the one who is providing, to the one who is worthy. And if we think that we ourselves are the ones who are providing, if we think that we're worthy of praise, then we start to praise ourselves. We start to say, look how awesome we are. And you have worked with people. You have uh, perhaps people in your family who have such a position, or I'm sorry, such an opinion of themselves that they think they are like gods, right? You've interacted with people like this, who worship themselves in the way that they live and move and talk about themselves. You've interacted with those folks. You know what that looks like. But we don't see it when we're doing it. We don't see it when it's us. And it starts out small. It starts out with saying things like, I know God has said this, but I'm going to choose this over here. I know God has told me not to worship other gods, but I'm going to anyway, because I want what I want. And so that independence, that is a temptation. And for some of you, it is the ultimate temptation. For some of you, you want to be independent, right, of everybody, of every authority. But some of you are on the opposite end of that scale. Some of you think that you can't do anything, and you are crippled by depression, and discouragement, and you think that everything depends on you. And it is actually the same temptation reversed, right? You are not now tempted to make things happen yourself and make yourself God with independent authority, but rather you're making yourself God, you're worshiping your own weakness. And that's a temptation for others. And it's tied to this idea that God is not going to provide what I need. And so I will seek it for myself, whether through strength or through weakness. So that's the first one. Then we worship our achievements. And this is something that Gideon is really going to struggle with. And to be fair, we could spend two or three weeks on Gideon, right? Because there is a lot that goes on in this story. 
But in these chapters, in Judges 6, 11 through 8, 21, we see God call Gideon. Where's Gideon when God calls him? Gideon is in a wine press, okay? He's like in a big vat. It's got walls around it. It's designed for putting grapes in and pressing it down and getting the wine to run out. And he's threshing grain in the wine press so that the Midianites, the like roving bands of marauders, right, don't see him. So he's hiding. That's where he is when God calls him. He's hiding. And God calls him. And he knows, he knows that it's a supernatural call and yet he challenges God. He's like, are you really God? Is that really who you are? And so he asks for proof right away. And God gives him proof. Four different times God gives him proof. God gives him proof with a powerful display. He gives God an offering and he sets it on fire like that, right? He causes fire to come up out of a rock and burns up the offering. And he gives him proof with the fleece, not once, but twice. And he gives him proof again, again, when he takes this army that's arrayed against him, this massive collection of of marauders, and he reduces it to nothing. Because Gideon and and a couple hundred of his friends have trumpets, right? And so God demonstrates again and again and again that he is the one calling Gideon, that he is the one empowering Gideon. He's the one who's making things happen for Israel. And what does Gideon say at the end? If you read uh, chapter 7, verse 18, they're about to go into battle. And Gideon instructs all of his men to say, for the Lord and for Gideon. Talk about... a misunderstood assessment of where his power comes from, right? He has just seen God do multiple things that are beyond his power, that are beyond his ability. And yet he says, hey, people, we're about to go into battle. Would you just mind saying that, yes, this is for God, but it's also for me? Thanks. So see how this progresses, right? I'm going to be independent. God, I'm going to choose to do what I want to do. I'm going to choose me. And then God says, don't choose yourself. That's not wise. That's a problem. I will enable you to accomplish the things that you need to accomplish. I will enable you to do the things that you need to do. And so Gideon says, all right, prove it. And so God does. And then Gideon says, prove it again. And he does. And again, and again. And so God has proved himself multiple times to Gideon. And yet, Gideon's choice is to say, make this about me. So we are quick to acknowledge our need for the Lord. And when we feel inadequate, right? When we feel inadequate, we're just as quick to forget that he exists if we forget, I'm sorry, if we remember that we are successful. So we're acknowledging our need for God. We're weak. We're doing that. And then all of a sudden we have one small glimpse of success. And we're like, "Never mind, God, I've got this. And so this ignoring of God, this claiming equality with God, it's going to lead to elevating ourselves above God, just like independence. We want to be independent of God. We begin to imagine that we can do things without him. We want to accomplish without God. And we begin to believe that even the things that we know that he has empowered, he didn't empower, that somehow it was us, that somehow we did this thing. And we get to that place where we want the love. We want the adoration for us. And so we're willing to say like Gideon, this is for the Lord and this is also for me. I'm going to accomplish this thing. Yes, with God's power, but pay attention to me. Look at me. See how I did this thing. And this is going to amount to us worshiping ourselves. And maybe you don't feel that this morning. Maybe you feel like it's all you can do to get out of bed in this morning. It's all you can do to accomplish the very smallest task. But just like with 
independence and dependence, right? Accomplishment and a sense of being futile, a sense of lacking, right? They're, they're connected. And if you think that you have accomplished nothing, if you look at your life and you say, nothing has happened, again, your eyes are on yourself and not on God. Gideon has had everything given to him. All the power has come from God. All of the authority uh, has come from God. We'll talk about that in a second. All of his independence that he thinks he has, it's all from the Lord. And yet he's willing to say to the people, do this for me. This This is for God, but it's also for me. So these are building, right? First we're independent and then we're achieving things. And then all of a sudden we get this idea, this sense that we have authority, that we have the ability to walk out into the world and to say things and to do things and to speak for ourselves. And it looks like Gideon handles that the right way because he says this, the men of Israel say to Gideon, rule over us. So they accomplish this, this route. They, they beat all these assembled forces of Midian. They send them uh, running. They go and they chase after their kings. Other Israelites get involved and, and start to help. And then pretty soon, right, these people that have been abusing them for years are now sent scattered. Their kings are killed. It looks like Israel has really done something amazing. And it looks like Gideon is behind it. And so they, Israel comes to Gideon. They say, hey, you should be our king. And you should rule over us. And it should be a line of succession. And your son should rule over us. And he says, no, I will not rule over you. My son will not rule over you. The Lord will rule over you. And in as much as he believes that, that is exactly the right attitude to recognize that he is not independent, that he's dependent on the Lord, that he has accomplished nothing, that God has accomplished this thing. But he hasn't actually believed that. And we know that he hasn't actually believed that that hasn't sunk into his heart because of what follows. So the story keeps going, right? He says this to the people. And that's verse 23. So Gideon says, I will not rule over you. My son will not rule over you. The Lord will rule over you. And then verse 24, he says, also, and, hold on. Do you guys have some earrings? Yeah, we've got earrings. Good. If you could just throw your earrings on this sheet, I'm just going to take a couple of your earrings just as spoil from the war. It's just, it's kind of, you know, a little gift to me because I led you, because I made this thing happen. And so he takes those earrings And they give them willingly, and it's about 1,700 shekels of gold, about 40 pounds of gold. It's a fair amount. And what's telling is what he does with that gold. He makes an ephod out of it. An ephod is a breastplate. It's a breastplate that's worn by the priests. Okay, so in Israel's culture, there's a clear distinction, a clear delineation for different roles of authority. God says... There are priests who will minister before me and they will be a special kind of authority and they will only come from the line of Aaron. And that's, that's specific to me, right? Those people can only do this thing. And Gideon says, yeah, but I kind of like to do that too. I would like that authority. I'll acknowledge God, but I want to set myself up equal with this priestly class. I want to be the one that people have to come to, to worship God. I'm going to make this golden chess piece and I'm going to keep it in my town. And if people want to worship, they have to come here. And so he claims the authority for himself that he has no business claiming. And it says all of Israel hoard after it. And it became a snare to both Gideon and to his family. So he said, 
God, I hear you telling me not to be independent, be dependent on you, but I'm going to choose independence. And I hear you saying that this accomplishment, these things that are happening are from your power, but I'm going to claim them for myself. I'm going to even instruct my soldiers to say that they're claiming it for me. And then I'm going to say the right thing, Lord, but I want the authority. And so I'm going to set up this system where I get to be worshiped too. And I don't know what your temptations are. I think this one is mine though. I don't mind being dependent. I like other people. I like working with other people. And I don't really mind giving other people credit for accomplishments. But when it comes to authority, that's a temptation for me. I like to be able to tell people what to do. Anybody else like to tell people what to do and have them listen? That's great. That's a good feeling. How many of you are parents and have abused that? I have. I've told my children what to do before when I had no business telling them what to do. I could have just loved them and walked alongside of them and helped them. Now, sometimes I tell them what to do and I have to. It's my job. It's the, it's the reason I'm there. But sometimes I'm doing it out of selfishness. And the same thing in my job in the past, right? I've done that out of selfishness. And I remember when I was a young teacher, right? And I first came into my voice, and you guys have had this experience. If you've ever been a teacher, you've ever spoken in front of somebody and you know how you can affect your voice and you can say things like, Matthew, get over here, right? Listen now. And you can affect this change that desires command. That's a temptation for me to claim authority for myself, to worship myself in that way. And I don't know what yours is. I don't know if you're the independence temptation or you're the accomplishment temptation or you're the authority temptation, but all of these and other versions of them lead us to worshiping ourselves. So we have this series talking about being judges in our own eyes, because this is something that we continue to do. It's, it's easy to read judges. It's easy to get the end of the book of judges. And you see this verse that says, now there was no King in Israel and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. But here's the thing that's still true for us. When we fail to recognize Jesus as King, when we don't put the Lord as King over us, we do what's right in our own eyes. We make things up that we want. <clears throat> we seek out accomplishments for our own glory and we exert our authority over and against other people. And that is a temptation on one level for every one of us. And that worshiping of ourselves is deadly. This is what God is trying to tell Israel. He's trying to tell them, listen, don't do this. Don't run after other gods because it's deadly. You will always, always come to destruction. That will be the end. You will seek destruction and you will find it. And so Gideon doesn't listen to that warning, right? He doesn't heed that call. He pursues that. He says, I am going to be independent in this God. I'm going to accomplish what I'm going to accomplish. I'm going to do what I'm going to do. And then we see him actually making this power grab at the end for authority among the people. He pays lip service to God. He says, God, yes, you are the one who is holy. You're the one who's over everything, but also come to me, worship through me, countrymen. Now, unfortunately, the end of the story, the rest of the story in Gideon's life, it's not, it's not great. The people, the people are okay in Gideon's lifetime, but Gideon has, we assume, many wives because he has 70 sons. 
And of his 70 sons, one of them isn't even born from a legitimate wife. It's a son born from a concubine. And that son goes to his people and he says, "Um, listen, my father had these 70 sons. Do you want them to rule over you? Or do you want me to rule over you? Because my mother is from your people. And they say, yeah, that sounds good. So he goes and he kills all 70 of his brothers on a single stone. The Bible says he just lines them up and he kills them one after another. That's the legacy that Gideon leaves behind because he's made himself and he's made his family to be gods instead of worshiping the one true God. This is what we don't see. We don't recognize what comes after. We're very interested in the independence. We're very interested in being able to act the way we want to act when we want to act that way. And we're very interested in the accomplishments and we're very excited about our resumes and telling people about all the wonderful things that we've done. And even the authority that we get to exert, we're excited about that. We're excited about saying, look, I'm in charge. I did this thing, right? Look how awesome I am. Come and follow me. And we don't realize that we're leading ourselves and our families and our people into death. So I don't know where you're at this morning. I don't know what your temptation is. I don't know what you hear from this and you think, yes, I struggle with that. Maybe none of it. Maybe none of it. But ultimately, go back to the beginning where God said, God said, don't have any other gods before me. And ask yourself this question. Are you worshiping another God? If you look at your life, if you write down how you spend your time, if you look at the ways in which you choose some things over other, where you choose some people over another, what does it tell about who you worship? It could be another God. It could be money. It could be pleasure. It could be yourself. And for all of us, I know that those temptations exist because that's what it means to be a human made in the image of God suffering under sin. All of us are tempted to worship another God. That's why God is constantly saying this over and over again in scripture. Don't have any other gods before me. Why John says in the New Testament, hundreds of years later, thousands of years later, little children, keep yourself from idols because it's such a huge temptation. And sometimes we ourselves are the biggest temptation, the idol of us. So whether it is, right, whether it is independence, whether it is accomplishments or authority, we are going to choose something. We're going to tell people to worship God in one moment and then ask them to honor us. And there are any number of things we're going to stick in the way, just like Gideon did. So we need... We need to understand what is the solution. What is the way out? Because if you're here this morning, if you're worshiping something other than God, you are heading toward death for yourself and you're leading other people with you. So what is the way out? How do we escape this? How do we, as Paul said, get rid of this body of death? And we do have to look at Jesus. And I know that it's a jump. I know that it's a leap. It's like we're in Judges back here, and now you're going to go over to Jesus. He's over there. What are you doing? There's some, you missed something, right? Remember when I said the end of Judges says there was no king in Israel and everyone did what was right in his own eyes? What that means is that there was no worship of God as king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And God knows this, and yet he gives the people a king, And then he raises up not only a king, but a line from that king. And he says, listen, salvation will come through this line. 
And that's the line of David. And then he brings Jesus. So yes, there's a whole Bible in between these two things. But trust me, it is all the same story. So we do need to look to Jesus. Jesus is our answer. Yahweh, the heavenly father, makes, sustains, redeems us. We do nothing independent of him. I don't know what you think you've done independent of God, but you haven't done anything independent of God. Anybody create themselves this morning? Call themselves into being. Anybody? I did not, by the way. No, none of us did. None of us have called ourselves into being. We are dependent on God for life at the very least. But more than that, we're dependent on his power all the time. The Holy Spirit indwelling us, enabling us to do the things that bring God glory. That's true of Gideon, and he rejects that. He wants to say at the very moment, and the story is worse than I've even told you, right? The story is that there is this camp from Midian, and God has reduced Gideon's army down to 300 people. And he says to Gideon, that's enough, because if you take 300 and you go and defeat them, it will be clear to the people that I did this work. So God is very direct with Gideon. He says, I want you to have a small army and accomplish this so that people know I'm the one who gets the glory. And that's when Gideon says, for the Lord and for Gideon. It is God's power that accomplishes these things. And he tells us that he wants us to give him glory, not because he is a glory hog, because he deserves it, because he made the universe, because he saves us. And so he gives us his Holy Spirit to empower us to do the things that he wants us to do. That's how he enables us, right? This is prophesied. God says in Joel, hundreds of thousands of years before uh, the people have seen this in effect, he says, my spirit is going to come into you. You have hearts of stone. I'm going to give you a heart of flesh, he says in another place. And the Holy Spirit is going to speak through you. I'm going to empower you. I'm going to live inside of you. We achieve nothing without that power. We can achieve everything with that power. And then finally, it's Christ's authority. You see, Jesus Christ is both the servant who suffers and the king who conquers. He's both of those things. And so when we talk about what does Jesus have authority over, and I read last week from Matthew where he says, behold, pay attention. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. What is he talking about? He is talking about angels and he is talking about nature and he's talking about people. He's talking about the earth and the creation itself. But he's also saying, he's also saying in every human experience, if you are the person who is tempted to think that you are weaker than you are, that you have no benefit to society, that you are worthless, that you shouldn't get out of bed in the morning, that there is no value in you. He says, understand that that is not true weakness. That is actually self-worship. But if you want to know what weakness is, look at what I've done for you. I am God, and I came as an infant, and I was sacrificed as a servant. That's that's weakness. I gave up everything on your behalf. And I have authority over that. And if your temptation is authority, if your temptation is to use your voice, whatever that is actually, it might not be your physical voice, but it might be your attitude. Some of you can walk into a room and with your attitude, you can shut things down or you can liven things up, right? And you're, you know how to use that authority. Maybe that's your temptation. And God says, listen, I am the king who conquers. Okay. I have authority over all of your authority. And so understand that I have both of those All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. I'm the servant who suffers. I'm the king who conquers. I have authority over it all. 
and I want to rule in your life because I want to give you life. So this is the difference. I've talked about this before a couple of weeks ago. This is the choice that's before us to obey God and to have life or to reject him and to have death. And we don't want to see it in those black and white terms, right? We want to see it in moment-by-moment decisions. I don't want to listen to you, mom or dad, or husband or wife, or job uh, boss, or whoever it is. I don't want to listen to you in this moment. I just want to reject that one decision. And that's not a big deal. But it's a little bit of death. We just chose death. We chose disobedience. And every time we choose obedience, we're choosing life. And it gets really easy to see in this situation with Gideon where he says, I'm going to choose life. Don't worship me. Worship God. But at the same time, I'm going to choose death. You should also worship me. It is very easy. It is very easy to fall into that temptation. And that is why it is so good that Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. Don't come to me and do. Don't come to me and perform for me. Just come to me and I'll give you rest. Believe. Believe that I died for your sin. Believe that my death and my burial and my resurrection is sufficient for taking away your sin. That grace is all you need. Because if we're trusting in ourselves, we're going to battle back and forth, right? We're going to be tempted by independence or accomplishment or authority or whatever it is. We're going to be tempted by something and we'll battle back and forth. And sometimes we'll choose life and sometimes more often than not, we're going to choose death. So stop making it about your choice and just accept, receive the gift that he wants to give you this morning. He wants to give you life. He has called you to everlasting life. He says, come walk with me. Everything that you've suffered, I've suffered and then some. I understand. Let me take those burdens. Let me do what you cannot do. This is what Jesus offers. This is the king he is. Right? The king that we would be, the queen that we would be, awful, terrible. We would lord it over everybody. We would say, pay attention to me. We wouldn't even bother with for the Lord and for us. We would just say, for us. But Jesus, who is God, says, I'll suffer on your behalf. I will, I will put myself low so that you can come and be with me and make your home with me. So that's the choice before you this morning. Life or death, obey or disobey, accept Jesus' gift or don't. The last couple of weeks, um, I've said, I want you to make a choice. I'm asking you again, make a choice. If you are choosing this morning to believe, if having eternal salvation sounds like something that you would like, come and talk to us. Let us pray with you. And if you know that you have salvation and you're still struggling because you're tempted, come and pray with us. We want to walk alongside of you. We want to be the body with you. And for any other thing, right? If you just want to have a family and you think my own family has abandoned me, I've made myself so independent that nobody loves me anymore. Come and talk to us. The body of Christ is a place where there is healing and where there is hope because our head, our leader, our king is Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are tempted by death daily. And that sounds ridiculous, Lord, because we're afraid of death. But that's what we're tempted to do is to seek it instead of you because we want what we want. And our hearts are burdened with this, Lord. 
So we praise you and thank you and ask you this morning that you would give us the freedom that you have promised in your son. Give us everlasting life, even as you have promised, Lord. Help us to receive your gift of grace with open arms and to choose life every day. I pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. Have a good week. Happy 4th. Go in grace.